Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode. Episode five. Sure. Six, <laughs> four. It could be four, five, six. We'll, we'll see what order we, we drop them. Time flies. When it's another episode. Yeah, another episode. Another episode. With your two favorite hosts in the world, Garrett Marigood and Brady Cram. So, Brady, how was uh, your week? It was good. I got back from Aspen last night. So beyond uh, <laughs> some bougie <laughs> vacation, like I just got yeah, back sorry, from sorry. Aspen. Yeah, yeah. I drove. So, I drove from Aspen okay. to Denver. You didn't fly first I didn't class get the this Aspen time. Ticket. Yeah, yeah. The so, drive was crazy. So I guess everyone, because you pass like Vail, Colorado, okay. just everything you pass going to Aspen. So on a Sunday, I guess everyone vacationing up in the mountains comes back down to Denver. Is it like Vegas but worse? It took seven hours. Wait, so time out. You drove from Denver to so Aspen. So we flew into thought, Denver and okay. we drove up to Aspen on Thursday. And that okay. was fine. It yeah. was like the normal drive, three and a half, four hours. And then coming home, my GPS said two hours and 45 minutes left in the trip for two hours and 45 minutes. It just would not change. The cars were just stacking up. It was like Vegas on steroids. Oh, it was yeah. It was some of the worst like vacation travel. So travel. for anyone listening... It's if, worth the Aspen ticket, I think. Okay, it was... Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's so, worth flying into Aspen. Okay, it's, okay. it's super expensive, which okay. is why we didn't do it. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, we bought, we got a rental car. That or leave money. on Saturday. Yeah, or Saturday or... Or, you know, Monday. send the trip. You know, maybe <laughs> leave it on Wednesday. You know. <laughs> oh, oh, Brady. <laughs> I mean, you're saying well, it, not me. No, I'm not. <laughs> We're going to miss our show. We're going to be able to record. Brady's going to be in Aspen, everybody. my computer. Okay, I like that. No, it's it fun. You got your cool. virtual podcast recording set up yet? Yeah. Well, I have it. Okay. I mean, like, we haven't done one, well, virtually, no, but I got it. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to keep the show going, everybody. Even if we're traveling or something happens, Brady and I are fully committed to one episode a week. So we, we might sometimes have to be remote. We're always yeah. going to try to do it in person when we can. But yeah. What are you going to do? Yep. Well, you know, what did I do this weekend? Well, glad you asked, Brady. Yeah. yeah. I was, well, I, I, followed, I know what you did. <laughs> yeah. We kind of talked about it a little bit, but a little yellowtail. Tell the people. A little mahi mahi. Was uh so I went fishing down in Mexico, caught some fish. Oh, great you're down time. in Mexico. Well, you go out of San Diego and then you go into Mexico. Oh, waters. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So that's where the warmer water is, where the fish yeah. are at. So that was pretty fun. Got us a couple fish. Yellowtail fight like crazy. I never caught one before. Oh, sure. It's just it's a big fighting yeah. fish. It's a sport fish. That's pretty fun. So not bad, but also very very glad to just be home. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Like, do, yeah, does it, it feel was, nice? It was nice to sleep in my own bed and not be driving. What was your so when you went to Aspen, who'd you go with? A whole family, so it was a wedding. Okay, so whole family's there. Yeah, did you get an Airbnb? Uh, yeah, my cousin and his wife and Lindsay, we all just shared like a condo. Okay, let's think, talk, yeah, let's talk an marketing and Airbnbs. So, when you were choosing this, what, what were you looking for? And like, I'm actually because I think there's actually a lot yeah. you can learn about when it comes to. Like why we choose certain Airbnbs, yeah, yeah. what we're looking for. Like what stood out to you about this Airbnb? And then what would you change as a marketer, Brady? So my cousin did it. Okay. But to him, it was obviously in Mountain Town. We stayed in Snowmass or one of the cities over. And all of them are very like cabin themed. Um, but he selected the one that was modern. So it had like a frame, Samsung frame TV. It had like a nice granite quartz okay. or whatever countertop. Like it was not cabin themed at all okay um which was kind of nice it was just kind of bougie and i don't know if it's cheesy now to have the whole cabin vibe i don't know if people still like that but i'm kind of over it like even well, in mexico all the places are very spanish tiling like chaos and we chose one that was just more modern and i lost caveatos order yeah 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 so i would agree like i would say um spanish adobe style poorly executed sucks you don't even know if it's dirty like but i would say cabins yeah yeah cabins the same thing i think well executed cabin in the mountains is timeless poorly yeah. executed cabin where it's just a crappy house that happens to be mm -hmm. a cabin mm -hmm. is the worst i know exactly what you're talking about you get in the thing and you're like i do work pretty hard and i'm a little older now maybe i don't have to get the cheapest cabin in big bear yeah it's just dusty i feel there's just so much crap on the wall the stuffiness when you walk in yeah, it's, it's the, the smell right yeah i think it's all the dust because it's impossible to dust the place because there's so how would you market it though so like what would you do different like so you're you own that airbnb how yeah. would, what, would, what would you focus on i mean i think the photos did it for them like yeah. my cousin he went through them all and he saw that one and he told me why he liked it and i agreed and we booked it and it's not like it was ex more expensive than anything else so 
I think yeah. they did a good job as is. They, yeah. They made it modern. It fit us. So yeah, it sure. works. It was booked out. Yeah. They probably good reviews too, right? I didn't even look. I'm sure that, I mean, it was right on the slopes. I actually yeah. want to go back in the winter. So what do you do in the summer when you're there? Just like hike and like uh, fish? You could hike. Or what'd you do? But we didn't. Just play uh, games? I show. golfed. Oh, okay. So they had like a whole golf set up before yeah. the wedding. Um, and then it was my cousin's birthday on the Friday. So we went to like the St. Regis. I guess they all have a different Bloody Mary. Okay. And they have a dog that sits in the front. Didn't know that. So okay. we, we kind of did that for his birthday. Nice. Got some lunch. I love it. But the town, it's crazy there. It's yeah. just a whole another world. Is it kind of like uh, when you go to Mammoth and everybody's kind of like doing the mountain party scene? No, it's, no, it's bougie is what like. Really? It's just. I've never been. It's Yeah, it's insane. Huh. It's You go past the airports, like all these private jets are just exactly. sitting there. Yeah. So yeah, I've like, heard like Jackson Hole can be like that, but I've never been there either. I haven't done anything really cool like that. Yeah, I went to Aspen when I was a young teenager, so I didn't really remember it. So this time we went and you were like just looking around. I was like, where are we? Yeah. It's it was like the cool Newport. Though. It's like Newport of the Mountains kind of thing. Yeah, and it wasn't like we went to lunch at a nice place but didn't break the bank. It yeah. was like too insane, but you could definitely You could definitely spend some money. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I love it. It was cool though. I love it. Well let's talk uh advertising jealousy, Brady. Yeah. Have you found any kind of ads that made you a little jealous? So you, you <laughs> I kind of have a hard time with this one. I'm not okay. gonna lie. Oh no. I have a hard time with it just because I, I can't really think of, at least in my personal life, like, oh, I love the ad, so I bought it. Or, like, the ad stood out. So, you know, I kind of get creative with the segment. How does it, wait, time out. You don't really see good ads in your day-to-day? Not really. What do you mean? They're all around you. You're the guy who loves to say marketing and advertising is all around us. I like being the person behind the scenes of advertising. That's why I like the whole TikTok thing. Like, I just loved how it was all the leggings. Out. Yeah, the leggings. Yeah. Like, that was all the strategy and it was executed well. So I'm still going to talk. I okay, have okay, a topic. Okay, okay, okay. What is your topic? Shark Tank. <laughs> Shark know? Tank as an ad. Oh my Shark Tank okay. as an ad. All I don't right. think a lot of people think of it that way. Which All is right. why I'm I sorry, to bring everybody. It up Brady's been doing less and less preparation Dude, for us. I have <laughs> stats about it. I know kidding. the top investments. I did my research. <laughs> okay, okay. Break down Shark Tank for me. What so, are you saying? I just don't think a lot of people see Shark Tank as an ad, right? But come on, you don't think that's what at this point? It's kind of like I feel like it's American Idol at this point. Half the ones are on there just for laughs oh, yeah, or an like ad. On Spotify, like as they're on the show, you can go there Spotify and they have like a million views already. I definitely, That's yeah, kind no, of what, I know what you're I'm, saying there. I feel like I think right now, if you're like a new startup product, Shark Tank is part of your launch strategy. Like I feel yeah, like they no, have it. It's like a Kickstarter. Kickstarter's kind of like yeah, it is. a marketing Correct. ad. There's a search engine. Yeah. You can shop around there. But no, I don't think a lot of people like in its family show sense see it as it the is biggest fa- it is kind of like a family show it is, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a totally it's a totally family show which i think is cool when they break down like the the valuation and they kind of do that business i still don't understand royalties the royalties i can't understand wonderful it. shit i don't understand it it's just like you get every item sold you your royalty could be like till he recoups his capital right or more till he recoups his capital yeah he can sometimes say recoup sometimes he says like i'm gonna invest a million in perpetuity and i want two dollars every unit until i get two million so yeah, it's just a unit thing. Okay. Yeah. Mr. Watt. See, you like the show? I do. I do yeah. like the show. I, I have no problem with Shark Tank. I'm just wondering what your angle is. I feel like it's been around forever. So yeah, it I'm has like... been around forever. I've just my angle is looking at it as an ad itself. Okay. I agree. Okay. Which, so what what are the benefits of it as an ad? Why do you like it as an ad? So it's cool because it's founder based, right? So it's like the founders doing a commercial, they're doing a pitch for the product. They then kind of get the social proof when the the sharks try the product. So if it's food, like they'll take a bite and they'll give their live feedback. If it's a physical product, they usually do a demo and they do it on the set. So it's kind of like an infomercial a little bit. Um, What's interesting though, is when they break down like the cost of goods sold. So in the commercial, they will say their $30 product costs a dollar to make. What do you think about that as an ad? See, that's where it kind of like, I wonder what people think like hey there would you like to get screwed by this lovely new product check it out our latest financials it's definitely like the behind the scenes look at the business that usually no one would ever say in an advertisement but i don't think it hurts like i feel like you have to cry i feel like if you yeah, cry no, yeah like i watched this one where the guy um it was like a farmer guy mm-hmm. he was a little podunk 
and he was very sweet and like approachable and he's like a every man's man kind of like is he the guy with like the teepees around the tree trunks dude see that guy now that was an ad brady now how much now i think that guy was just such an authentic great dude But like that one, I almost planted a tree in a cold weather area just so I could buy his teepee. Like I, <laughs> I, I agree. Like, it's like one of the only products that the mass market just simply can't buy. They can't buy it. But I mean, I almost bought a house in Wyoming just so yeah, I could buy his tree sample. Tree it was pretty cool. So are you saying that the exposure is worth it, even if you have to dilute yourself a little bit? And because to me, let's be real. How impactful are those investors anyway? Like, I, there's no way that there's that much value added. Like, Mark Cuban's out there, like, slinging referrals to his yeah, 300K other teams. I think yeah. Barbara might be, like, the most invested one from the stuff I've seen. Okay. But, yeah, it's not like, I don't think them. I don't think they got Mark Cuban's cell they... phone number, and they're, like, calling Mark, like, hey, Mark, I got this pricing question. No. They fly out for their publicity and get Correct. the content, but I think they all have teams. Like I think there's Mark, no way they're talking to Mark for like an hour after the shoot and like breaking it down with him and getting yeah, his feedback. I think they almost have like an agency team. I yes, I would argue that. Do you know artists are like that too? I had no like idea. Musical artists? No, no, like pro, like painters. Mm-hmm. So like one of my favorite artists is Daniel Arsham. Never heard of him. I would love for us to interview him. That would be a great guest, Riley. Daniel Arsham. <laughs> Riley's our producer, by the way. Let's take a moment. little clap it up for our new producer, hey. Riley. And then Scarlett, our world-class Swiss Army knife. little round of applause for Scarlett as well. A little behind-the-scenes love right now. If you're not watching, Brady has some of the sleekest pants I've ever seen. Are those Viore? These are Viore. Dude, you're looking good today. The top two. Y'all got to subscribe. Check out the YouTube. Brady's bringing it. If they had socks, I'd be wearing them. <laughs> if they had shoes, I'd be wearing them. But just, I love just it. pants and shirt. So the ad essentially is you get to be on national television. And yeah. I what about the reruns? Because to me, I like the reruns well, from an ad angle. You know I'm what I'm curious, saying? It's like, how do you score the month before Christmas block of the season? Like, I wonder how deep that goes, like in terms of the types of products they have during the Do November, you have to pay to be on Shark months? Tank now, you think? See, that's That's kind of what I'm thinking. Like, I don't know how deep it goes as an ad. I don't know any large scale TV channel who allows themselves to be used by entrepreneurs. You know how they say no free ads? Yeah. How do you think that relationship goes? Like, how do you think they filter that out? Because if you go on, you know, I think you're also, I think there's negative ad too, Brady. Like, I think if you go on and you try to cheat the process, not not get torn up. That's separate. People, some people just are bad at business, and that's not who I'm referring to. Mm-hmm. I'm referring to people who might try to use what you're saying right now. So listen to us. Yeah. They're like, I just got to be on Shark Tank. I'm not even going to try to raise the money. Whatever they say, I'm going to say no to it, mm-hmm. or I'm going to ask for an egregious amount just so I get the free publicity. What do you think about that? So it's it's funny because I was thinking as I was prepping because yeah, yeah. I, I did ton of prep. I, I know, okay, yeah. but no, I, he preps all night. He works fourteen hours a day on this. I podcast. was driving down a mountain in Aspen, Colorado <laughs> for seven hours to read and forty stats. <laughs> I bought satellite Wi-Fi just for it. You know? Yeah. Um, but I was thinking, what products do I own yeah. that are Shark Tank? And one that I wasn't sure about were these like chirp rollers, these back rollers called chirps. They're just different size wheels with like a foam top. So foam like, rollers. Yeah, just, so I Googled yeah. Chirp Shark Tank and lo and behold, it was an episode. And I watched it, his segment, and Damon was calling him out. He's like, dude, you, why are you here? Why like are you you're here? taking the carpet from someone who actually needs it. I usually Ooh. invest in like earlier stage companies because I think his sales were already through the roof. He had the product and final yeah, stage. Yeah, everything he needed. And he was just there for publicity, which is kind yeah. of my point to you. What but happens if you use it? Damon was kind of the only one saying it that way. I think Lori was looking to invest. Mr. Wonderful was looking to invest. And they're very successful product okay. today. So I, I don't know how much. I, maybe if everyone is against them. Yeah, I understand. Like the whole panel is like, why are you here? Yeah. This is BS. Then I bet it does. It's a bad ad, to your point. I think the other part of the ad, too, is like, I think if you're going to go on Shark Tank now, I don't watch it as much as you, it appears, but I have seen I my seen fair share. We're kind of like yeah. you're watching all these repeat episodes. So we, we took a break, but I think we're ready. To I've probably seen in. like 10 episodes before. OK, I watched 10 episodes. All right. I want to say I've not watched it all, but I don't I, you know, I haven't yeah. watched it in yeah. years. But one of the things I thought was really interesting about it was every one of those investors on the panel is incredibly niched. Mm-hmm. In the sense that, like, mm-hmm. Mark does tech, yeah. Damon does apparel, fashion. 
Fashion. Laurie's Exactly. Mr. Wonderful screws you with royalty deals. Love you, brother. But just, you know, one of <laughs> perspective from me. I don't know what but, Barb does. What does Barb do? She's my least favorite. I think Barb invests think mostly in women. I think Barb mostly invests in women on there. And I think she's the most integrated to it all. I think she spends a lot of time yeah. with her. But I can't remember. I've genuinely probably only seen 10. But I did see her do an interview with a podcast I like. So I've gone, I've, they've all been on podcasts I listen to. Okay. So cool. I've learned more about Shark Tank through their lens. Yeah, yeah. If that makes sense, through podcast interviews with the investors. But I think if I were to go on Shark Tank, and I think most people do it this way, hopefully, if they're serious, is they already know who they're trying to get the money mm -hmm, from. Mm -hmm. And they're looking for more than the money. In other words, like, I think the point of Shark Tank is, yeah, there's an ad. But my point of like, how much does Mark really help? Well, I'd argue if Mark doesn't help, if it's outside of his passion, I'd say all of them, the best way to get an investor to help you is when it aligns with their passion, not with their money. Yeah. Right. Nobody's out there like, oh, let me get an extra three grand as a billionaire. Yeah. So I think for them, a lot of it's going to be more about what they care about, passion, mm -hmm. having a rapport, emotional connection with them all. But let's say you go on Shark Tank, Brady. Yeah. And you do this as a one time thing. How do, how do you think people can get more leverage on it post Shark Tank? Because I get a lot of Instagram ads yeah. where people do that, but I haven't got that recently. I feel like that was a hot thing to do. I don't even know if you're allowed to do that. I mean, lately, I haven't seen anyone be like as featured in Shark Tank kind of ad recently. Yeah, I th I've seen it. Okay, I think they still, still come do up. it. Okay. I've done some because we've had some clients where their competitors were on Shark Tank. And I remember seeing their okay. episode. And so I was in like Google Trends and yeah. looking at search volume spikes. Does it, is it serious? Oh, yeah. It's when the episode airs and their segment is on, search volume goes through the it's roof. It's like the product time bump, but on steroids. Yeah. So yeah. there's definitely a strategy from that. Okay. Right. What's yeah. your retargeting strategy specifically for like that hour when yeah. it's airing? Like having your own audience built just for Ooh, that. So to like get, that. okay. So instead of like, leveraging shark tank as a clip leveraging shark tank as an experience just for as their a traffic audience. source yeah, exactly. where you would think like oh you can't track it because it's tv but it's such a big spike to where you can just take that audience and probably say well 90 percent of that traffic came from watching yeah you can episode. take all, all so essentially what you could do is you could build a list so if you're going to be on shark tank this is a tactic right you could theoretically build an audience list of all your direct traffic and all your organic traffic from that day correct yeah from the day or i Probably from the day. I don't know if you can yeah. do the day parting down to like. Well, you could do source, right? Because if uh, Shark Tank, I'm sure, has their own social. So you could also do anything that was source medium, like let's say social media, and then that yeah. account or that channel, right? Yeah. And then I think to your point, like the content from the show, I have seen used like as an ad. You could probably get the rerun schedule from the network. So you could probably see every day they're going to oh, rerun yeah, you're it. you're going to know when. Yeah, yeah. So then you could essentially run ads on the rerun days too. Yeah. See, that'd be that'd be kind of clever. Yeah, I like and that. it is big. I remember when yeah. I looked it up, I was actually surprised, especially given the product was kind of it was for daycare software. Yeah, I think you hit me up and you're like, bro, we got to get on uh, Shark Tank or something because yeah. I think you saw it was like, it, oh, that was for it was for Brightwheel. It was yeah, on Shark Tank. yeah. My kids actually use ProCare now. How crazy is that? Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. My sister, I she was telling me all the tech in her daycare or preschool they're at, and I forget the name of it. it wasn't like ProCare or Brightwheel. Okay, it's fun when we get to come across our. Uh, clients or yeah. ex-customers in like real life and use their products yeah. that's always the best well here's mine yeah you showed me earlier but I'd, I'd love to hear the explanation yeah for the audio crowd i'm gonna do another bad radio segment so buckle up fam. <laughs> i love explaining no, this, one's, this one's easier than that ford commercial well okay so there's two parts to this kind of advertising jealousy one of them is just the ad that i love and the second mm -hmm. is why i love it and what we should think about as marketers so the ad that I love is a McDonald's ad. It's a billboard. I actually love billboards because the amount of canvas you get. Like now, I think Facebook did drop their text requirements. Um, so you like can be, the text on the yeah, image. Yeah, exactly. So or, I think yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it can be more than fifteen percent or whatever it yeah. was before. Yeah, it was stupid. So now you had a lot more creative freedom. But I think one of the issues historically with kind of digital and why creative has become less maybe impactful in a digital medium is there's so many restrictions around what you can do in the ad, how big the ad is, right? When you're doing a little tiny like corner display ad, it's kind of hard to do things that are overly creative. I'm not saying you can't. Mm -hmm. Now we shouldn't use that as an excuse, but it's different than a billboard. It's a lot of space to yeah. grab attention and do yeah. something creative. So what McDonald's did is they essentially used the sun 
to create a shadow. And then the ad essentially shows different items of food you can order at different times of the day. And then the like the actual billboard has a sundial on it. And so the shadow will go over at what time you can order that food. And I thought that was such a yeah, creative it was all like, breakfast, right? Wasn't it yeah. like leading up to 11 a.m.? Yeah, it was. It's uh, 6 to 11 and it shows. So it's just all like a breakfast reminder. Yeah, it's like a reminder to order breakfast at McDonald's. And that ad is only naturally live during the breakfast hour. Yeah, 6 to 11. Cool. Like even yeah. at night, it's still up there, but it's not functioning. Yeah, but you don't realize it's not functioning. It's still a cool ad. So it works all day, but then it has this extra pop. Yeah. And it makes you like want to see it when it's live yeah. naturally. It's a really creative ad. Yeah. I love it. And then y'all can check it out. We'll post it on the show notes and y'all can see it on our social media. So we'll share that so y'all can check it out. Um, but essentially, it's a McDonald's billboard ad. Now, mm-hmm. what I love about it and kind of what we talked about with psychology and marketing of like creative ads are more memorable. Mm-hmm. Creative ads get more leverage. So what I loved about this concept isn't the billboard, but all the additional media you can get from promoting a creative ad. Yeah, because you saw it through a time-lapse video of it. From a guy who's got a bunch of followers on Twitter. Oh, from Twitter, then posted on Instagram. Correct. My right. point being is advertising that's uniquely creative creates amplification Mm -hmm. beyond what you think it is. And I actually want to do this for directive. Like imagine the most provocative, crazy ad we could do in Silicon Valley on a billboard. And what if the billboard wasn't the value of the ad? It's just postable kind of. Exactly. What if the billboard was a medium for resharing on social as well as media, like PR publications, resharing it like Adweek. For example, Adweek is yeah. going to run a campaign or an ad uh, and do a whole pe- content around this McDonald's mm-hmm. billboard. I guarantee you have. If you search, I guarantee you, if you search Adweek, McDonald's billboard, like Sundial, Sundial, breakfast. you're going to yeah, probably yeah. see an article from Adweek yeah. on this campaign. My point being is, does everyone eat McDonald's? If we're all being honest, does everyone? I mean, I do. I, everybody loves McDonald's. Yeah. I think at some point we all want like a bacon egg McGriddle. Like, let's just be real for a second. I don't care what your diet is. I had it on Thursday. Yeah, I mean, at the airport. Who did it on yeah, Thursday? Right. Come on. My point being is like some products don't need to get there. Like we always think about ads as like, well, how much revenue is the billboard going to drive? How do we track billboards? You know, yeah. it all becomes about like, oh, well, how's the Facebook ad working? Well, how much value did that Facebook ad drive? Everything somehow became because it's trackable. Every only things that uh, directly attribute and are directly trackable become valuable in today's marketing. Mm-hmm. And it's such a dumb way as marketers for us to think about articulating our brand story and creating value. Is like the only way my company is valuable with a campaign is if that campaign directly influenced revenue. And that is completely short-sighted and not accurate. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of why I love this one is because it was so dang creative, yet I think it was a very clear call to action. Yes, it's a great ad still as a billboard. I'm sure the local McDonald's around that billboard saw an increase yes. in breakfast orders. Did like guaranteed. I think it, it, it was that sweet balance of super creative, yet functional. very clear and functional, telling you when the breakfast hours are in a very creative way. And... The bill, so the billboard works as a billboard is kind of what you're saying. So the billboard works as a billboard, but it's so creatively executed that it gets its amplification and its success from being more than just the billboard. Yeah. And that's what advertising and marketing should be. Your marketing and advertising should be so good that it works for things like it creates buzz outside mm-hmm. of its direct application. Yeah. I mean, that was like the Coinbase Super Bowl. Yes. Like, it actually live during the commercial break was just a moment of that ad. It was so shocking. It was the so... impressions afterwards. I'd be curious, like if the reach on social posts, how much further it went from the and initial then you had like the woman who ran the ad agency that created it. And then the CEO, uh, Brian Armstrong of Coinbase, saying that his team did it despite the agency and her saying actually in slide 87 and she kept the receipts. <laughs> I love it. And she like she was standing up for a whole industry yeah. when the CEO tried to take credit for his own team. Which, I mean, it's kind of his job. It's fine. But that still then got us talking about Coinbase. Yeah. So it's kind of the ripple effects of what great creative advertising can do for your business mm-hmm. is so much more than just what it is. And I think all of us 
I, I think we get this unsexy name like guerrilla marketing or like, you know, like one of the cool campaigns that I can use as advertising jealous in the future. But instead of someone sponsoring Dreamforce, they bought a blimp and flew it all around Dreamforce instead of sponsoring the yeah. event. And it was way cheaper. Like that stuff I love. Not only because all the attendees are now talking about it and looking at the blimp. So now it's the best yeah. ad at Dreamforce. Posting it everywhere, I'm sure. But now it's getting posted everywhere on social and all the media yeah. who cover this kind of stuff is also writing about yeah. it. So now you get the promotion, not just the ad. Ad plus organic promotion to me is like goaded. Mm -hmm. Like that's the best. Yeah, it was probably all because you know how the conferences like have their own app. Yeah. With their own social feed. I'm sure the blimp was just everywhere. Oh, it was everywhere. And they didn't pay a darn cent yeah, yeah. to Salesforce. Yeah. And that's the dream. And by the way, I got to talk about that one. We got to break that campaign down because it's such I a. I didn't even know about it. Oh, I no, this, it is, up. this is like definition of what great marketing should be. It's not playing by the rules. So what are the rules? Well, you got to get a booth. You got to do this. Mm -hmm. You got to do that. Scan everybody's card, build a crappy list, and then send them on one to the email so you can try to prove you monetize the event. Or buy a blimp and make everybody jealous that they didn't think about it. Yeah. Like that to me is what great marketing is all about. And yeah. That's advertising jealousy. All right, let's talk marketing and culture, Brady. Let's do it. What do you got for us? Okay. So, you know how like white papers stink? Like they actually smell? I guess it depends on the company. You know, no. you know how yeah, like yeah. Gated, gated content, blog posts that are put behind a You know, you've had a, a hard day at work. You're drawing up a nice bath. You got some bubbles in there. And you normally read a book, but you're feeling a little you're gonna risk it and you're gonna bring the ipad in yeah the you're feeling a little romantic <laughs> today so you're gonna pull out a white paper yeah you know what i mean like you know how nobody really reads them so it's kind of it's this marketing that's self-serving because essentially what people do is they're like i need to get my mqls up i launch mm -hmm. white paper and gate it but then if you ask a very simple question like have you ever read it yourself nine times out of ten the marketing manager has never actually read the white paper yeah and the more I feel like the more attractive it is in terms of like wanting to read it, the further it usually is from the product. Correct. And what my point is, is there's about, let's say, five years. Like, let's call it like, I'm going to give this a little timeline. Okay. okay. So this is where the topic comes from. There's like a five-year window of when we're doing a marketing campaign that we still think it's working, yet it's become mm -hmm. entirely socially, culturally irrelevant, and we don't pivot from it. In other words, I would argue white papers are now considered bad marketing. Yeah. Do you still think there's room for it to be done very, very well to where it's like maybe the strategy as a whole is dying out, yet a couple people could still do it well for maybe a longer period of time? Yeah, I do think you can make white papers phenomenal. The question is, could you create a business case? Mm -hmm where the customer acquisition costs, in other words, how much it costs to make the white paper phenomenal, you can monetize at a three to one ratio yeah. after considering your gross margin, which is like, makes it a lot harder. Mm -hmm. So my point being of all this, Brady, is more like, yeah, could white papers work? Yes. Can you make white papers an efficient, uh, like, can you efficiently create white papers? No, I don't believe so. Yeah. I don't know if, because of how much effort it takes to do a truly great white paper, and then how undesirable the process of consuming it is. Mm -hmm. I don't know if the equation ever works. And I think it's been that way for more than five years. I would argue it might've been that way for 10 years, but only now are marketers realizing it. So my point of this conversation is what I would say is like generational relevancy. In other words, time moves so fast. Like when did TikTok launch? Three years ago, two years ago? Yeah, I'd say it, it got hot within the last three years. I don't know when it launched. Correct. Yet, do you have a TikTok? I do. Do you post on it? No. So technically, you're already old. You're a dinosaur. Come on. I know, but I'm being real. The thing Still that allowed us... the algo, you know? Ah, come on. Here's the thing. The thing that allowed <laughs> us to start directive at a young age is this thing that will defeat us at directive at an old age. Yeah. Right? The reason we were able to enter this industry with no background no experience, no expertise, and build a good business was because we were young, dynamic, and we said white papers were stupid. Mm -hmm. But what are we doing today that essentially 21-year-olds and 22-year-olds is say is bad marketing? Yeah. And the reason I point yeah. that out is I think that's the biggest threat to marketers. And that's what I want to talk about is culture moves faster than marketing does. Mm -hmm. Right? This is a segment called marketing and culture. 
So I think it'd be fun to talk about the fact that culture moves faster than marketing. Like there's some people who like Gary Vee. I wouldn't say I always like Gary. Okay, let me rephrase. I don't like Gary Vee's content. I don't. I don't follow him. I don't consume his content. And it's now with all that being said, I think what he does to stay relevant is insane. I respect the crap out of Gary Vee for it. I don't think I'm his audience either, for being honest. So I don't think I'm supposed to like his mm-hmm. content. But Gary Vee impresses me so much with how he knows how he stays relevant yeah. as a marketer with culture. Another person who's done that exceptionally well and is a sign of a taboo human, but has done it exceptionally well is Dave Portnoy. Like the guy launched a TikTok podcast as a complete idiot because he wants he's that much of an egomaniac, which yeah. is fine. But he only did that because he wanted to stay relevant. Yeah, it was like the fear of I feel like that's what Oh, he thought have. he was gonna become a dinosaur yeah. and he couldn't essentially. Yeah. So he did that. So I respect and he's a marketer just as much as Gary Vee. These are mm-hmm. some of the most talented marketers, frankly, of our generation. You don't have to agree with their values and perspective, right? If you only follow marketers, just as a side note to everybody. If politics is the primary driver of what inspires you as a marketer, you're probably not going to have the healthiest worldview, right? You don't have to agree with someone's politics or their values to learn from them as a marketer. I want to make sure everybody understands that. Just because you respect someone as a marketer doesn't mean you align with their values or that you agree with everything they said. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean you can't be inspired by what they do to garnish attention. Because at the end of the day, as a marketer, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get humans from apathy to action. We're trying to get humans to care about our brands, care about our products, care about our services. So my point here is that I believe the very best marketers in the world know how to stay generationally relevant. And that's something I'm always trying to do. I got Scarlett helping me with TikTok. I'm not a pro with it. I'm not saying I'm Gary Vee or one of these people. But my point being is, we got to stay relevant. I'd love to hear from your perspective, Brady. Where, like, how do you think we can stay relevant? Is this practical discussion points? And then we can get a little bit more kind of heady about it. But how do you think marketers can stay more like relevant culturally and on their piece, especially like CMOs, right? You're a 50 yeah. year old CMO. And the reason you got there is you know how to manage people, articulate vision, work with the C-suite, allocate capital. But you're also now supposed to be driving great marketing. So how can CMOs, People who maybe pass the cultural relevant, how can they stay on it? Yeah, I think it's just breaking down, like, not to oversimplify, but it's just all communication. Yeah. Right. It's just mediums of communication. Those are our marketing channels. And so I think it's just starting at, like, where are people absorbing content? And if you, I, I like that you brought up TikTok and white papers because just the content in itself. Like you don't see millions of views on social media of a, you know, 10 scroll type content where it's just all words on the page with some, you know, infographics or illustrations. And that's what a white paper is. Yeah. And so I think like comparing the two, like you don't see that as the modern content. Well, the white paper's purpose, right, is to articulate the value of what you're offering. Yeah. But you don't have to do that in a way that's boring. Exactly. Yeah. So I think it's like being inspired by what's getting the views, what people are using. Like, I think you and I yeah. have talked about it. Like, why not have, you know, a Twitch stream embedded on the homepage of a website? Yeah. Why not have your go. AEs and SDRs just 24 seven, if not just during local business hours, doing live demos on Twitch and have that embedded on your homepage? Imagine if AEs could like, I don't know, you could be on someone's website, want to get a demo, and then you could get the demo in real time yeah, you could ask we a question in the chat just be like hey can it do this oh cool thanks for engaging in the chat like drop me an email if you want to talk more let's set up a call next week and that's using a medium of communication or live we could streaming. talk now my point being is all of us are going to be disrupted in our current model of b2b all of us are. yeah the b2b is not consumer centric if you're in b2b it's very much what if like what is the prospect doing for you right like we got to qualify the prospect. Do you think any prospect wants to be qualified? You know how crappy it feels to be qualified? Yeah. Like, think about how, like, unbuyer centric we still are in B2B. That's what inspires me, Brady. And what gets me going is D2C. I try to follow all the consumer companies mm-hmm. because those are the ones on the forefront of marketing. The people who are selling widgets and innovation and new 
types of products or themes. Like imagine trying to launch a luggage company right now. I love that. You're in a commoditized space. Like how do you be the next away? Like one of the companies I love is Baboon to the Moon. You got to check out their marketing. They're taking a completely funky different perspective. Like drink house, non-alcoholic aperitifs delivered to you. But when they do that, they have to create these brands that are sexy Mm -hmm. and different. Instead of B2B where it feels like everything's designed for approval, not impact. It's like, what can I get through 14 layers of approval and make sure it looks like every one of my competitors, but I also want to beat them. I don't understand it. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. how do we use these TikTok and these new mediums and formats, Brady, to like bring our brands to life? Yeah, I think I'm trying to think of a, a social ad I've recently seen. I want to say HubSpot did it well to where it was B2B content and it was on social and it was kind of like a, a micro commercial to where it was two people talking over their cubicles about marketing performance and how at a glance they could see how well LinkedIn was doing um, because of HubSpot, Mm. right? And so they had that type of entertainment still talking about the product content directly in my Instagram feed. And it was done in a way where it seemed like it was kind of a normal reel. It just happened to be about HubSpot and it was B2B content. It was people in cubicles talking about LinkedIn performance. Which resonate with me. That's my yeah, yeah. day-to-day. That's my life. Well, and what I think is so hard, and I, I actually fell victim to this. And I'm actually, I think, trying to grow past it and learn from it is like we get the stink of B2B on everything we produce. And what I mean by that is in B2B, we feel like, and I, I'm saying B2B a lot today because Brady and I do mostly B2B right now. We do some B2C, but it's still mostly B2B. We have this like stank on us where everything has to be high production. And everything has to be on brand and everything has to be like at a certain level. Mm-hmm. But my videos that do the best are just me holding my phone in front of me talking to the screen. Yeah. And I think that's the irony. You kind of get what I'm saying? Like in B2B, I think a lot of people aren't doing that HubSpot ad because they don't have a producer. They don't have a, like they don't have a live action video firm. Yeah. They don't want to hire actors. It's like, why don't you just get two employees, pull out a camera and have them talk about something they're passionate about? That mm-hmm. might actually be your highest performing ad. Think about the D2C companies. All their top ads are user-generated content. Mm-hmm. They're not like random influencers. They're less known influencers, people who are passionate about their products, who they get to film a raw, organic kind of video of their product. Yeah. And that raw, organic video is outperforming the overproduced, overprofessional, non-raw, authentic, trustworthy content that I myself have been producing for years. So what do you think about that, Brady? Like, do you think B2B can become more approachable? Like CEOs in these B2B companies will stop like maybe doing green screen interviews and maybe just pull out their phones and talk into it? Or, I mean, Elon Musk is kind of doing that on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that just gets down to the individual. Like, I think it would work for anyone who takes the time to do it. And it depends on the person too. I mean, your following is definitely going to be related to how many people agree with what you are saying when you pull out your phone and or how many people disagree yeah i think b2b scared of controversy brady i think that's it i think b2b wants everyone to like them all the time and uh, newsflash everybody if you say anything that matters there's going to be a lot of people who don't like you yeah having haters means you you said something that actually had a stance correct anything where everyone agrees isn't the most powerful it's not you're not saying anything yeah and I think that's the problem with B2B. B2B is afraid to have enemies. B2B is afraid to stand for anything. Mm-hmm. And I think the future of B2B brands, and I think the future, and it's already currently direct to consumer brands. They're like, think about politics. Think about the brands you like. Almost all of them have some type of polarization of their values and what they stand for. And that polar, that being polarizing is what drives their following. Yeah. And if you read the comments, on a lot of these accounts, the vast majority of the comments are negative, yet people take the time to leave a negative comment. So it's kind of working at the same time. Mm-hmm. But B2B is terrified. Of it. You know what I mean? B2B has to be vanilla. They have to just be basic. Yeah, I was actually, and this is maybe another topic, but I was going down a rabbit hole of like faith-based software. Faith-based software. Like, Christian-based okay. software, like PE firm, oh, and really? this one guy just really wanted to blow up, but okay. be Christian-based. That got me then looking into the religious views and the political um, 
backgrounds of owners of SaaS companies, like on average. And that just got interesting. Yeah. Um, because it's kind of to your point, like it, it's really putting a stance out there. And a lot of these owners are like liberal and, you know, very yeah. clear with their political backgrounds. And then you see these other parties now seeing software companies. Yep. And almost like the fear of like their political stances, their religious stances. And now everyone has their software in their pocket. How much are they influencing? And so I hate you- that the world is going to a place, though, where you have to like choose your tribe. And yeah. if you're in one tribe, you can't be in another. But that is our world. And that tribe is against your tribe yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of thing. And- yeah, you can't just have two tribes. You have to have an enemy tribe. It mm-hmm. can't just be that there's two tribes. It's one, one's on the right, one's on the left. There's no tribe in the middle anymore. But if there is no tribe in the middle, why does B2B refuse to be on the left or the right? Mm-hmm. If you're in, and it doesn't have to be in the left and the right of like the common, like, you know, the, the right's conservative, the left is liberal. It could be anything that you stand for. Yeah. But that's the key to a brand, right? Is I think a brand has to have an enemy, right? Like mm-hmm. for me, if I were to start an SEO firm right now, keyword research would be the devil. I would make keyword research the enemy. Yeah. And everything I would do would talk about why volume-based content marketing is the dumbest part of SEO today, but also the largest driver of how people do content. How many keywords, how many search, how many searches a month does a keyword have? And what's its difficulty? Mm-hmm. That's what people care about, unfortunately. Yeah. What they don't care about is, could I monetize the query and does my audience resonate with it? Somehow that died when SEO entered the arena. So SEO ruined content. That's why nobody reads a blog anymore. I mean, when was the last time you subscribed to a blog and were like dying for a blog post to drop? Probably Unbounce back in 2015. Okay, so it's been since 2015. Now let me talk uh, about... No, I got one. Charts okay. is another one. They do visualization on you know world events. Okay. So you, it's recent. So it's a blog post or is it visualizations? Uh, it's an email subscription now. And it's image-based or word-based? Both. But it's a chart? Yeah, it's called charts. And they so they describe it in text and then they do a visualization. Okay, so it's not just an article. Unlike Netflix retention rate and how Disney's passing them up, like they would write about that a little bit and then right. they would show the graph. So my point being is it's a creative medium using graphs, yeah. Yeah. not just words. Yes. And that's been, you haven't read a blog or subscribed to one in approximately eight years, seven. I've read blogs, but it's more like it's something's broken and I have to troubleshoot. Yet every listener right now, their content strategy is based on what? Search volume and blogs and yet no one reads blogs. Yeah. So blogs are the next white paper fam and it's already happened right now. And we're all guilty of being generationally behind what actually works. Conversely, Brady, how many videos have you watched in the last day? And how many social media accounts do you follow and consume information through that? I probably follow 5,000 across all <laughs> channels. And and you know who those accounts are and you know when they're posting, correct? And you're now part of their kind of community. To yep. And I watched YouTube before I went to bed last night. Yet B2B doesn't care about social or organic. Yeah. The world has changed and the B2B marketers and normal marketers or in the past, mm-hmm. trying to apply legacy tactics to future versions of current consumers. Yeah. We're all current consumers. We all are a victim of the now, yet our tactics are a victim of the past. And we wonder why marketing is not working, why we're not getting the budgets we want, mm-hmm. why we don't feel like we have a seat at the table, why we're not getting respected. Well, because you're generationally dated already. I'm 30 years old and I'm already behind because everything I did when I was 22 years old doesn't work anymore. Yet 90% of the tactics I'm doing are still from when I'm 22 years old. Yet we haven't adjusted our playbooks. We haven't learned new skills. We're sheep that are stuck in their old ways. And that to me is like kind of depressing. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's factual. Like most all of what we're doing has stopped working. Yet we're just squeezing the last little juice out of that lemon. So what does the future look like, Brady? How do we future-proof ourselves, right? We have TikTok coming up. We've mm-hmm. got a Are lot you... of audio being integrated to marketing, if you think about it. You get really meta for a second. You've got audio. Yeah. You've got entertainment. I mean, LinkedIn is still massive. LinkedIn's just, massive. It's always interesting to see the posts that have the 200,000 likes on it. Have you cried recently on LinkedIn? I haven't done that yet. I've been like, Did you see that? Yeah, I've been seeing that. It's like people are mocking it, I guess, is a thing. Yeah. 
Brady, you probably thought it was brilliant. You're like, no, I just didn't. I, I saw a few of them. And yeah. I was reading like their stance on it in the comments. I couldn't really figure out the angle. What there is were, it just like making fun of people who are like laying off employees no. and posting themselves crying about yeah, it? Yeah, so the CEO essentially fired all these people. And yeah. essentially the, the, the pushback on him was instead of like posting like a list of all the people that got let go and helping them get new jobs, he made it about himself. Okay. Essentially, the reason he got roasted, like how hard it was for him, him to do it, and, and now it's all part of his quote unquote personal brand. Except some guys, maybe and, and gals and individual people, um, get a little hardcore sometimes on making it about themselves when it really shouldn't be, and that's mm-hmm. kind of what he got. Okay. It wasn't because the inverse, right, has been like anti, you know, macho masculinity, and so. Mm-hmm. It swung, unfortunately, all the way around the other pendulum where now the CEO cries publicly and everybody mocks him. So there's still that reality, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I guess my point is all the viral LinkedIn content seems so separated from the reality business that they're trying to <laughs> grow. Yeah. Um, but I, I, it's just crazy to see the traction on LinkedIn. And I just don't really fully understand the culture I don't yet in the time I spend on it. And I see what blows up. I see what doesn't. The, the LinkedIn news feeds a dumpster fire of just completely useless information. Oh, yeah. That was, that was going to be my point. Like, none of it is useful. Well, then how can people do useful content that's still engaging, Brady? Like, what, what, what does that look like instead? I think you need people who want it. I, I don't know if that's the gap. Maybe we just don't like that kind of content. Well, that's what, like, the majority of people, like, would they actually spend time, whether it's through visualizations or really well thought out bullet points, like if someone actually did meaningful LinkedIn content, like how many people actually take action on it? Not many. I've been even though they years. say they want it, right? <laughs> I, I I mostly create meaningful LinkedIn content that doesn't yeah. get a ton of traction. So You'll talk to a marketer, teach me, right? And yeah. they'd be like, "Oh yeah, if I saw that, I'd be on my you know laptop right next to me. I'd be doing it." Like they'll say they want it, but how many people, people just want actually? Vibes, people just yeah. want to be entertained. They they don't want a call to action. They want a call to share. In other words, they want something yeah. to make fun of. They want something to laugh at. Read the comments. They want something to read the comments. They want to watch the world burn. People want to be entertained. Mm-hmm. Yet most of us are scared to death to entertain. So is there a way to educationally entertain? Like where would you, like To me, it's video. You got to go to video. Yeah, video, proving it. Right? Mm-hmm. I think like proving performance, like we're talking marketing and you want to talk about something that you want someone to try like showing how well it worked, being realistic with it, talking about the pitfalls of it. So making it not seem perfect. Yeah. I think people often just think, Oh, that's too good to be true. And they'll come up with all their personal excuses. Why it wouldn't work for them. So I think being realistic with that too. Um, but it still happens. Like every now and then I do see things like even talking with our own teams. Yeah. Like they were going to pitch max performance. I'm like, well, has it worked? And the guy I was talking to opened up an account and they had the pipeline imported in the max performance campaign had SQLs. I'm like, Oh shit. Like I, I was reading about it and B2B and it yeah. not just being there yet. And then someone on our team is showing me his performance behind it. I was like, that's cool. Now I know I'm going to look into it to then bring it into the sales process. Yeah. So it happens. It's just not, it doesn't blow up, but maybe that's what, what yeah. you're talking about with search volume. Like, the high search volume is too good to be true. Yeah, but does seeing do things need to blow up to work, Brady? I think it's kind of the kind yeah, of Yeah, that was kind of the point I caught yeah. myself in is like I always tell clients this, especially in B2B. Yeah, but it's your own human nature. If it doesn't blow up, it didn't work, right? Yeah, it's like, like that's you want low search volume. Yes, the reality you do. is you don't have a huge market. Correct. There's not that many people. You need the right people in your market because those are the ones you monetize. Yet if you do something that only gets 20 views, you're like, oh my God, it only got 20 views. Even though if it got the right 20 yeah, views, it's it better 10 than 10 of the right people, 2,000 of the wrong. Yeah. So I think that helps, right? So as a note, I think one of the ways to get more creative with your content is to worry less about the volume it gets yeah. and more about the impact it has. That's where we're just programmed to get the likes and we don't feel like we're successful if it doesn't get the views. You got to get that dopamine drip, right? So it's just crazy how that almost programming social media has done for us can be leading strategies in the wrong direction because you're just fighting for the wrong yeah. thing no and yeah it, it, like i look at a tiktok and i'm just like i think the thing about tiktok that really was the biggest shift to me is entertainment 
as a source of information is definitely, I think, the new media. Mm-hmm. Like, if you think about it, what does well on social today is first and foremost entertaining and secondarily educational. Yeah. And I think we have to figure out how do we entertain people first and educate them second. Think about mm-hmm. a white paper. A white paper is the least entertaining form of content. Yeah, you're crossing your finger. Someone's going to, like, go out of their way for you. And just be like, you know what I want to do? Just really elevate my knowledge right now. And see how good this writer is. Yeah, so my point being is, like, if you think about what's not working and what works the worst right now, it's the least entertaining. And the Mm -hmm. things that work the best, like Tim's uh, TikTok videos for Directive. Like, Tim does our content. If you haven't seen it, check out Tim Davidson. He's on TikTok. He's on LinkedIn. He provides a load of entertainment. Yes. He's hilarious, but he also is educational and informational. And I think a lot of B2B brands are afraid to be entertaining because they think it comes across childish and maybe lowers their value. I think it makes you stand out. Yeah. But you got to be able to be different. If you're trying to do what everybody else is doing, I think you're going to struggle to be entertaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's taken like an extreme stance, I think, on entertainment yeah. to where it's very entertaining to our target market. Mm-hmm. Like all of his jokes are around B2B and software. And yes. The right. G3 quadrant, all of his little jokes. And it's to the point to where it can be nothing close to like our products. But it's so entertaining where people go like, where does this guy work? Yeah. I have who to see who this. is this guy? Oh, he works at Directive. What is that? Now they see the brand. And now they're like, oh, they sell marketing. I'm jealous. Right? Yeah. Like my whole pro- premise of like marketing to marketers is the best way to market to a marketer is make them jealous of your marketing. Mm-hmm. Right. If you ever sell to marketers and that's your audience, like my audience is marketers. I want to make them jealous. The more jealous I can make a marketer, the more they are inspired to trust me with their marketing. Yeah. So what's that thing for you? Right. Like what does your audience need to truly feel like you're the best for them? And I'd argue entertaining them probably a pretty big part of it these days. Yeah. I think like it's a lot closer to the lifestyle brands. It's like, I need this in my life. Like how the, a lot of their right. advertisement is just creating those thoughts. On I don't think lifestyle works anymore either. Though. I feel like that's becoming legacy and dated. I feel like the only people. Yeah, there's pretty much assumption. Life- I, yeah. I think lifestyle, they don't do it right. Maybe they do need to be more niche because I think in lifestyle marketing, they still look for volume. It's always luxury. It's always, you know, like a guy on a boat or something. The problem with that to me is it feels played out. Like, I feel like that lifestyle marketing is in B2C mm-hmm. is just like white papers and B2B. Like, I feel like it's played out. Like, think about what works out. It's UGC. It's not lifestyle. Yeah, because that's like, like that's an individual person. I feel like that's lifestyle, correct. they just go after these massive segments. Like, okay, our lifestyle brand is urban. Yes. So we're going to try to resonate with everyone who might fall into an urban category. And it just ends up being... I don't know, some stock footage, assuming what people like and what they're into. And I think it doesn't hit. You know, instead, the best ones we're doing is like, okay, I'm going to get the biggest influencer in the urban space, make them a partner so that they mm-hmm. get upside on their promotion. And then we're going to promote the crap out of this together. Think Nike business model, think Beats by Dre, think any of the trillion tequila slash vodka slash gin brands from famous actors or actresses mm-hmm. lately. Like, that to me, it, the future is more along UGC and influencers, yet this legacy feel of lifestyle with random models wearing your product is to me a thing of the past, yet everyone's still doing it, just like everyone's still creating ebooks and white papers. Mm-hmm. Like somehow we need to like figure out how to stay alert. So is there anything the listeners can do as like a way of how can you tell if your marketing's from the past and you're not with the future? Like, what's a way to like, if you're listening right now, Brady, like, what's a way in your mind for a listener to assess their own campaigns or their own marketing, ask themselves if they're in the future, if they're in the past? Yeah, I think you can always start with yourself. Yeah. And then even your peers and try to get in touch with like other generations. Like my cousin, I mean, she's getting older now. She's 22, but I always loved asking her like, you sound so ridiculous. What music are you listening to? Like, she didn't know who... uh, be- not, and she knew Beyonce. She didn't know Destiny's Child. And that's when it blew my mind. I'm like, okay, we're, we're different. Yeah. She had no idea who Destiny's Child She didn't know Say My Name, the song. I'm not going to sing it, but I almost did. Yeah, I was like say driving it. her. I'm like, yeah. what are you talking? So anyway, I, I do like seeing, like, are you on TikTok? Are you on Instagram? Like, do you still do Snapchat? Like, where what are, are your friends where, where, doing? Where is she? What is, what is she on? 
I, I think she's on all of them, but like we talked about like the trends that happened too. I'm like, you actually do these. And she's like, yeah, I had a PowerPoint party with all my friends in college. What's that? So a PowerPoint party is a thing where you, you have like girlfriends over or okay. guys could do it too. Yeah, okay. And they each make a PowerPoint. So like one PowerPoint Sounds could like be a like horrible party would be how many <laughs> drinks it would take for me to break up with my exes. And so a girl would come to the party with that PowerPoint. Oh, made. that's kind of funny. And have you seen like the charcuterie board parties where it's like I've been to parties at charcuterie boards. No, like okay, okay. it's different things. So someone <laughs> okay. will bring a Chick-fil-A board and it's just a board filled with Chick-fil-A. The other one would bring like a truffle drink board. Uh, okay. I was like, do you actually do this stuff? And she's like, yeah. Like okay, my so friends and I, we see it on social media and they're like, I gotta be a sheep. No, I'm we're kidding, like, but I, <laughs> I know they're like, yeah, this seems fun to where I see it. I'm like, Oh, that's cool that people out there do that. And the videos kind of entertaining, like that PowerPoint. I have topic to be an independent figure. I can't do things be for, because everyone else is doing it. So I feel like I'm the opposite of this. Yeah. But, so no, that's where I like, that's why I need help. That's, that's why, why I, I gotta, talk to her. I'm yeah. like, do you actually do that? Or is this just something where you're I'm just seeing assuming it online and, social, you know, you're trick. 22 and you don't do it either. And she's yeah. like, yeah, I, we do that. Okay. So people, so culture's changed. People are way more communal. People are more collective. My point being is the first way you're trying to stay relevant is you're asking yourself, what, yeah, what are you doing? Right. Second way is talking to younger people and asking them, what are you enjoying? What are you liking? How are you consuming information? In other words, when we get older, all our friends are older and we essentially create our own little bubble where we still think X marketing is working because us and all of our friends our age still do X marketing when it really should be Y marketing. It should be more of this other type of marketing and we're not staying relevant. What, what other tips do you have? Yeah, I think if you know people who even have younger generations as their target market i yep. think it'd be fascinating to talk to them because that's their world right we're that's talking yeah we're talking b2b so we're talking like the generations of workforces and how you know decision makers are being replaced with younger generations but there's also companies where that's just their target market well it makes me a weirdo but i try to follow all the new influencers yeah like i talk to my wife about it too i'm just like baby i gotta follow these people and i'm gonna tell you all about them like mm -hmm. And I try to follow like, oh, what is Addison Ray doing to build a following? Yeah, because that's exponentially more relevant to me as a marketer than trying to figure out like what some like uh, what LeBron's doing with his social. Like mm -hmm. the, the people of my generation, we all know what we're doing and we all really didn't grow up with a lot of these approaches and a lot of the social. Like I didn't get an Instagram till junior year of college. Yeah. Now kids are getting stuff. I'm probably middle school at this yeah. point. Well, some of them, their parents like manage it, but they have one because their friends have it. Yet the parents manage it. I've heard about that. When too. they turn 13, they pass the keys to the Instagram. Yeah. Our parents thought they were innovative by getting us an email. Right. You know, you know like they got us a savings <laughs> account. The AIM. Right. Like we used to get savings accounts as kids. Now people get social media accounts at their 16th birthday or whatever. Like it's yeah. a whole new world. And my point being is the only way we stay relevant as marketers and don't become like, you know, the clueless CMO that we all hate. We're all about to become the clueless CMO mm -hmm. that we all hate. Like the, oh, what's that thing? Oh, explain it to me there, Sonny. Like that person, they stink, but we're already becoming that person. I think we all have to fight that to stay relevant, to make sure our campaigns resonate with future generations, mm -hmm. to understand what the future generations care about. But I think as marketers, and I hear it all the time and it pisses me off, we'll do things like, oh yeah, I'm not on TikTok. Oh, I'm not on this. Yeah, I don't really care about that. It's like a flex. It's a flex. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We think we're better than the next generation, yet don't realize that that generation is going to make us all unemployed. Yeah, I don't need digital. The product's that good. Yeah, the product's <laughs> that good. Or whatever. But you know what I'm saying? We're going to become unemployed and replaced by future generations like every other generation before us, yet we somehow flex on our own stupidity as if it's some type of badge of honor to be better than the yeah. future. Because it could be working in that moment. You know, there's moments where Correct. you don't need TikTok yet. You don't need Instagram yet. You're no. fine. And they celebrate that. But and then one day you wake up and you need it. The competitor and, did it. And, you're and gone. you can't have it because almost everything has a first mover advantage. Yeah. And yep. So the party already started. You show up. The alcohol is gone. Cat. There's no food. <laughs> and there's just like a crappy like, you know, like when you go to a party and they just forgot to get like appetizers and they bought one of those like circle vegetable trays out of Ralph's. Yeah. yeah. Where it's got like broccoli. And carrots. That's what's left by the time we it's wake the, up. The Lay's crumbles. Yeah. There's just crumbles at the bottom of a chip bag. And then there's like carrots and blue cheese. That's all it's Onion like. dips a little watery. Yeah, you it's know? watery. It's at the bottom. Yeah. Five layer dip has half a layer left. Ugh. 
But that's the reality. We show up because we're so cool and we're so experienced and we're so smart. And the party's already over. We're left eating carrots. And I think that's just hopefully a takeaway for everyone is how do you stay relevant? Hopefully this will give you some ideas, right? You can ask yourself, what do I actually like to consume now? Does my marketing reflect that? What are the younger generations doing? And is it relevant? And then what are the most famous people that are in their 20s doing to build their notoriety? Mm-hmm. And if you put that all together, I think you're going to walk away with a deeper understanding of how to stay relevant generationally in your marketing. Yeah. Go watch Twitch. Yeah. Buy an NFT <laughs> and get yourself an Oculus. That's the call Jeez. to action. Oh, my gosh. I know. I can't hate on it, but I want to hate on that so bad right now. It's crazy. I know. No, I do. It's something to think about. I like I the fear. I think that's the the Portnoy and the Gary Vee. Yeah, they don't want to they don't want to be replaced. Yeah. And so they look into it. And yeah, like they don't want to lose their that. relevancy. They yeah. don't want to become the irrelevant person who's just talking to people their age. Yeah. I think Gary Vee said he woke up one morning, didn't know anything about NFTs, and he went to bed like that night and he knew a lot about it. Yep. I think it, that's the mindset to have. Got to stay curious. We got the internet. Yep. We got Google. Look it up. I figure love it. it out. I love it. Well, that's original marketing. Uh, subscribe. Leave us five star reviews. Uh, Any other call to action? We'll see you next week. See you next week. Thanks, everybody.